Well, hello again, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, a free public edition of The Painful Truth this time around. This is one of the editions that I send around to everybody on the list, not just to the partners or subscribers. So it's great to have everybody in the virtual room for today's conversation. Although it seems to me that being in virtual rooms and having kind of digital conversations is all I seem to do these days. Like a lot of people, I'm in lockdown here in Sydney, as many of you are in different parts of Australia. And so there's lots of Zoom meetings, as, as I know many of you are also engaged in. And one of the Zoom meetings I'm in every week on a Monday afternoon is with the trainees at Canvas Bible Study. That's the apprentices who we're seeking to train to become gospel ministers. They're doing a two-year apprenticeship with us. And so it did occur to me at one point that if I'm training these would-be, could-be possible pastors, I maybe should figure out exactly what it is that I'm training them to be or become. What does it mean to be a pastor or an overseer or a gospel minister or however you want to describe that sort of role or person? What's the purpose and nature of that role? What makes for a good pastor? And so over the next little while in The Painful Truth, I'm going to dig into these questions from a few different angles and see what we might unearth. And in doing so, I won't pretend for a minute that it'll be comprehensive or even adequate as a total picture or a total theology of pastoral ministry. But I do hope we can achieve a couple of things. First of all, I hope those of you who are pastors or pastors-to-be will get some fresh or clarified thoughts about the nature and purpose of your task. But I'm also hoping that for those of us who aren't pastors, and there's many of us who are listening who are in that position, that it will also really help you in a number of ways. That I guess it will not only encourage you to support and pray for and appreciate the work of, of your overseers and leaders and pastors, and to have better expectations of what their role and purpose really is, but also to understand more clearly how your own gospel ministry and the gospel work of all Christians relates to the work of pastors. That's a really important issue as well that we'll touch on. And just to give you a hint, it relates very closely, but we'll come back to that. So where to begin? I guess one way to start would be to look at all the various titles or labels that are given to ministry leaders or pastoral leaders in the Bible and to ask what these different labels say about the role. So we could look at words like overseer or elder or shepherd, which is what pastor means. Pastor just means shepherd. Worker we could look at or fellow worker. These are very common terms, especially in Paul for his own ministry and his ministry colleagues. There's the word leader in Hebrews 13. Possibly even the phrase man of God, as Paul uses it in 1 Timothy, might be referring to ministry leaders. And so we could engage in a word study exercise that could tell us something useful about these different words and what they mean and how they're used. For example, we could find out that the role had something to do with watching over people. That's what an overseer does. That's what oversight is. Or we might discover that it related in some way to being a shepherd kind of person, someone who looked after a flock. That's what pastoring is about. Or that it involved labor and toil, that this was a fundamental nature of the task. That's why they're often called workers or workmen or fellow workers and so on. But as a way of understanding the essential nature of pastoral leadership, 
studying the words that are used to label it is a limited way and a potentially even misleading way of proceeding. Because when you think of it, which aspects of the shepherd idea apply to being a pastor and which ones don't, and with what emphasis or level of importance? Is the fact that pastoral leaders are called elders, is that just about them having authority as a mature person? Or does that title require them actually to be old? Trying to understand the nature of pastoral leadership by focusing on the titles or labels or words used to describe it. It's like trying to understand what it means to be a doctor by analysing all the words that are used to describe doctors. Say, medico or general practitioner or surgeon or physician or clinician or quack. It'd be like looking at all these words and then constructing a model of medical practice from the meaning and derivation and usage of those words. In fact, I can sort of see the journal article now. It would go something like this. The word clinician comes from the Greek clinair, meaning bed. And there are multiple instances in the literature of the clinic word group being associated with the practice of medicine as a bedside or bedward or bed-oriented activity. Clinic in other words, is bed language. And so clinical medicine is thus unavoidably bed-centric. To practice medicine is to visit the bed. And doctors today who see their patients at impersonal so-called clinics, far removed from the beds of their patients, have lost touch with the essential character of doctoring. And so on. Now this would, I guess, be a bit funny if it wasn't also a bit sad, because I've read many a theological article that argues in exactly this fashion. Words are the building blocks of meaning, but they don't convey meaning until they're assembled into sentences and paragraphs. We discover what ministry leadership is like, what pastoral ministry is, what its nature and function and purpose is, by looking at the sentences and paragraphs of the New Testament that describe this nature and purpose and function not by just studying the words themselves and how they're used. We'd want to look at passages like Acts chapter 20, for example, because in this passage, Paul gives the pastoral leaders of the Ephesian church a kind of pep talk, a quite emotional pep talk, before he leaves them for what they all expect will be the final time. And as he reminds them about what he has done in their midst and what he now wants them to keep doing in his absence, we learn quite a bit about the role of these elders and overseers. And in that passage, the labels, those two labels are used interchangeably, it seems. In fact, this passage, Acts chapter 20, is the basis for one of the most famous books about Christian pastoring in Christian history. I'm speaking of Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor, which was written in 1656. And it's basically an exposition of this passage and in particular, verse 28 of this passage. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's the KJV, of course, of Acts 20.28 20, that Baxter was quoting. Baxter argues that the pastoral task basically consists of obeying the two commands in this verse, to take heed to yourselves and to take heed to all the flock over which you've been made overseers. 
Now, if you've never read Baxter, the Reformed Pastor, whether or not you're a pastor yourself, or if it's been too long since you've done that, it's really worth the time. Or if you're short of time, I've put together a little cheat sheet kind of summary that I'll tell you about below. But it's a very challenging and encouraging read. And his challenges about the essential need for the pastor to watch and take heed of his own soul and character are very bracing, to say the least. And his section on pride in particular is a bit of a killer. But Baxter is famous for how seriously he took the second aspect of pastoral work as he sees it, and that's the taking heed of the flock. In his view, this was impossible to do unless you took the time and labour to meet with parishioners personally and instruct them in the word. He regarded sermons as central and vital, but he also insisted that unless you took the time to meet with each family in the parish and instruct them and answer their questions and find out where they stood and what their spiritual needs and dangers were, then there was no way you could fulfil your duty to take heed of all the flock. For Baxter, this was a matter of following Paul's own example, which he was urging the Ephesian elders to follow as well, where Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. That's in verse 20 of Acts 20. And likewise, in verse 31, Paul says, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now, Baxter had a whole system for this. It really seems he was quite the entrepreneur or certainly the activist. He would set aside all day, Tuesday and Wednesday, each week, and meet with families by appointment, hour by hour, for spiritual instruction. And quite astonishingly, to us at least, this allowed him to get through 15 or so families every week and thus spend at least some individual instruction time with all 800 families in his parish at least once a year. Now, whenever I've discussed Baxter's approach with other pastors, the conversation very quickly turns to the fact that this is quite impossible to implement today. And that's very likely correct. It was a very different context and time and place. But the principle that Baxter was operating on and expounding is not so easily dismissed. The task of elders and overseers in Acts 20 does involve watching and paying attention and guarding all the individual people over which they've been appointed by the Holy Spirit. And in the passage, this flows from Paul's own example of teaching them publicly and from house to house, and also warning and admonishing every one of them with tears and so on. But it also flows from the particular threats and dangers that the flock will inevitably experience. The fierce wolves that will come, and even from within their own number, as Paul puts it. And this is a very common theme in the pastorals, in the pastoral epistles, which we'll need to spend a bit more time in at some point in our investigation of pastoral leadership that one of the important roles of elders and overseers is to guard not only the gospel itself, but the people to whom they preach it from all the various threats and dangers that will continually come. The Book of Common Prayer summarises this aspect of the pastoral task in the ordinal. It says that one of the things that the presbyter is promising to do is to drive away all false and strange doctrines that are contrary to God's word 
and to this end both publicly and privately to warn and encourage all within your care. The Christian life, in other words, is a dangerous life. It's a dangerous journey. We're all under threat in different ways from the world, the flesh and the devil. And pastors are given the vital responsibility to take heed of the flock in light of this situation, in light of these threats. However, it's not just pastors. God has also given us each other as fellow travellers, fellow strugglers, to watch and to warn and to encourage each other to keep going. As a Christian community, we're to take care or watch out in case any of us develop an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, and to exhort one another every day to resist the hardening effects of sin. That's Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. It's a vigilance, in other words, that we all share for each other's sake. We should all watch out or take heed for each other. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2 come to mind as well. In other words, the responsibility that ministry leaders have to take heed to the flock is a focused and responsible and intensified version of the responsibility we all have for each other. It's interesting. The Thessalonians are urged to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. But in the very next verse, they are themselves urged to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and so on. This seems to be a pattern to me, a repeated pattern in the New Testament with respect to elders and overseers and pastoral leaders generally. They're not a different class of Christian, nor do they do anything really that all Christians don't also do in some respect. We all teach and instruct and admonish and encourage each other, and we all seek to grow a character that reflects and expresses the teaching of the gospel. Those who labour among us and are over us in the Lord lead us. They lead the whole community in doing this. They provide the capital T teaching that guards the gospel and provides the content and basis and boundaries for all the mutual speaking in love, speaking the truth in love that we engage in. Our leaders exemplify the gospel character and life that flows out of that teaching. They're responsible to take heed for the whole flock and make sure that each person and every person is guarded, protected, fed, and so on. And this is why oversight is such a necessary task and such a noble and important work, as 1 Timothy calls it, and why it requires a person of exemplary Christian character and certain gifts. This, it seems to me, is one of the weaknesses of Baxter's presentation. It's the lack of any real sense that watching out or taking heed and instructing and exhorting is not just a task for the overseer or the pastor, but a task for the whole community as well, for which the overseer or pastor or elder takes particular responsibility. However, the strength of Baxter's work is his insistence that it is the responsibility of the pastor and overseer to take heed of all the flock, to ensure that the whole church community and each and every person in it is known and instructed and guarded in the gospel. He reminds us, in other words, that ministry is always and invariably about people. 
and not people considered as a general lump or a general target for our teaching and preaching, but each person, each precious individual person for whom Christ died. Famous four Ps come to mind here, that ministry is about proclamation, it's about prayer, it's about people and persevering and ministering to people. Now, we have many practical and systemic questions that come to mind at this point. Does this mean that elders and overseers therefore need to personally know and take heed of each individual member of their flock? Well, it probably does. But how could or should this happen or be organised? Can this responsibility be shared? And if so, with whom? Does the nature of biblical pastoral oversight mean, as Baxter thought it did, that this kind of pastoring is unavoidably congregational? And so on. Now, some of these questions are situational, and we will come up with different answers and different legitimate answers, depending on our circumstances and our views on things. Some of these issues are issues of principle, and if I'm brave enough, I may come back to some of those in due course. However, here's one practical reflection to conclude with. In many of the ministries I've been involved in over the years, one outworking of the Baxter Principle has been for every church member to have an elder or overseer who is responsible for them, whose initials are next to their name on the church roll, if I can put it in those terms. And it was the responsibility of that ministry leader to take heed for that person, to know them, to know their struggles and issues, to be praying for them, to be taking active steps to move them to the right, if I can put it that way, through a mix of their own personal conversation and meeting with them and through their involvement in the various ministries of the church. Does something like that happen where you are? How does the leadership team in your congregation take heed of all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers? Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. How does this work where you are? And how does the responsibility to take heed to all the flock work itself out in practice. Now, if you'd like to read further in Baxter for yourself, if you've never done that, uh, you can get copies of The Reformed Pastor from any Christian bookshop. You can also find it online these days as well. I think there's a copyright-free version available for download uh, if you just search for The Reformed Pastor. I think it's part of that Christian Classics Ethereal Library, CCEL site, if you find it there. But if you'd like a, a more modern English version, I've put together a little bullet point summary of the Reformed Pastor for the trainees that I'm working with. And it's a bit rough, but if you'd like to check it out, just head across to the website, to thepainfultruth.online, to the text version of today's post. Um, I don't know if you realise this, but all the posts of The Painful Truth come in both audio and text versions. So if you'd rather read it, or if you'd like to mull back over it by reading it, you can find the text version over at the website, and that's where you'll find a link as well. Uh, down in the at the bottom of the post, you'll find a link to the, to the summary of the Reformed Pastor. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode, or if you'd like to share how pastoral oversight of the kind that we're speaking of happens where you are, then just get in touch. You can send me an email at tonyjpain at me.com, and I'll share some of the best of those thoughts with everybody as well. Uh, if you're one of the free list kind of public subscribers to The Painful Truth and you're intrigued on this topic and would like to hear more and be part of the episodes that are coming up over the next month or two on this subject, you can always do that by subscribing. 
And I'm making it even easier for you to subscribe at the moment by offering a free trial for a while, just so you can kick the tires and see what Getting the Painful Truth every week is like and what other bits and pieces and bonuses also come through for every now and then. Uh, the way you can access that is just to go to thepainfultruth.online slash freetrial60 painfultruth.online slash freetrial60 that's all one word and you'll get a 60 day free trial of The Painful Truth so you'll get eight or nine episodes free to have a look at and see uh, what you think and whether you like it and whether you want to continue being a subscriber partner and being a subscriber or partner is of course not only about what you receive it's also about what you give a few dollars that come in each month really help me to keep going on this work that I'm doing in writing both in The Painful Truth and in the other writing projects that I do for about half of my time so it's really valuable support for the work I'm doing and I appreciate it very much so check that out if you'd like to over at thepainfultruth.online and just add slash free trial 60 to check out the free trial. Well, that's about enough for this week, I think. Thanks for being with me once again. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.